Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 66. Today we are continuing to look at our new covenant identity. Hello, Father. Hello, daughter. This is going to be fun, talking about identity and adoption and yes mm-hmm. yes yes we're getting into adoption today but first so today's icebreaker is courtesy of a listener and they want to know about some of our favorite family traditions and i wanted to just kick it off by saying this week is um our illustrious podcast producer is turning 23 and um, when I think about family traditions, honestly, no, no matter what time of year it is, one of my first things that I think of is going to Stucky Farms. And um, we, we've we had this tradition of celebrating Ben's birthday. You know, not it doesn't happen every year anymore, but when he was a child, especially, we would go and pick orchard or go to the orchard and pick apples. And yep. it was a good time. It's a nice thing about having a late September birthday. We would always go to this, you know, pick your own apple, apple orchards and fill up with apples and get apple cider. And we'd come home and we'd, you know, usually get cake from Costco. And it's like, because <laughs> uh, let's face it, they have the best chocolate cakes. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. I know. And I, and then when I think about apples, I think about like mom would always have just like a basket or a bowl of apples that were usually that we picked from the orchard, just sitting on the island. And I always loved coming home from school and getting an apple. And anyway, but happy birthday, Ben. Yes. Happy birthday, Ben. We he- love you. Yes. How about you? Can any other? Um... No, I love him too. So <laughs> <laughs> Not what you're asking. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, favorite family tradition. Yeah. I'm glad favorite... you love Ben. <laughs> yes. Thank favorite... you for that affirmation. Yes. Favorite family traditions. Oh, yeah. No. Well, Honestly, what I think family traditions, I think things like, you know, we watch Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe kind of at the beginning of the uh, Christmas season. We have uh, – there's a lot of things we we do. We're not like – like the season doesn't start until this happens, but we have a lot of things that we do like that that are fun. Mm-hmm. I know that I look forward to, so – I love it. Yeah, I know. Ben, definitely. We we always, if not at Thanksgiving, then at Christmas, we like to, you know, marathon the Lord of the Rings extended editions yes, and yes, right. have a party for that. And Some yeah. of our favorite things have been, uh, yeah, birthday party themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been one of the fun things we've done. Yes, my 13th birthday party. You guys, you and mom uh, threw me a, a Lord of the Rings themed birthday party and that was pretty epic. <laughs> it was. That was a lot of she fun. She made shepherd's pie and Yep, I dressed up like uh Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. That was lovely. So yes, happy birthday Ben. And now we are going to talk about sonship. So, you know, it works. Sonship works. Yeah. All right. All right, we are in the new covenant portion of our identity series. Last episode, we talked about the P of pact. This episode, we're going to dig into the A of pact. But first, do you want to just give us a brief reminder of what pact is? Yeah, pact is a summary of the identity statements in the New New Testament. So because there's not a single passage on the New Covenant that just lays the whole thing out, you kind of got to go 
searching for, well, what does the new covenant give us? What are the legal terms, if you will, of the new covenant? And uh, going from the premise that if there's an in Christ statement in the New Testament, like in Christ you are, in Christ you are, then that constitutes a term of the new covenant. So uh, I've organized those into four buckets, if you will. Uh, the first one are all the terms related to pardon. I'd be like justification, redemption, sanctification, purification. Um, the A is adoption, C is citizenship, things that have changed there. And then the last one is we've given a new title, we're saints. So all of these also are legal terms because the covenant is a legal document. So we've been emphasizing what is our legal identity in Christ. Huzzah. So to get us going into adoption, I just wanted to actually read a portion of scripture and then we can dialogue from it with it from there. Yes. All right. So this is Romans 8, 12 through 17. I'm going to read it in the ESV. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All right. There's just a little bit there. Just yeah. a little bit there. So I just wanted that to kind of set the, the tone, but I also thought you could give us some look into what adoption mean like meant in that culture um so yeah before i dive into that let me just point out that there are two two elements of uh our family that are connected mm -hmm. here one is adoption and the other is new birth and you'll notice this is talking about the spirit of adoption and um being born born of the spirit brings us back to john 3 and so whenever we're talking about i am a child of god there is this legal part, which is our adoption, and there is this what I call living part, which is that we have been born again. We've been born of the Spirit. And so this passage beautifully brings those two things together, and that is those who are born of the Spirit walk in the Spirit, and the fact that you, know, you can't walk in the Spirit if you haven't been born in the Spirit, right? So you're, you're stuck walking according to the flesh. The uh, As we talk about adoption, then that kind of cements it. And what covenants do is they define our identity. They define our relationships. So they define our identity in terms of our relationships. So a marriage covenant defines my identity in terms of my relationship. Adoption does the same thing. So as legally, I am now belong to this family. So in the Roman world, back to your question, mm -hmm. right? In the Roman world, most famous adoption you know, that everybody would have known of then was Julius Caesar adopting Octavian. Now, Octavian then became Caesar Augustus, uh, but when he was adopted, there were several things that automatically, you know, came about. He was he had access to the family. He and, and Julius Caesar now had a relational connection they didn't have before, gave him access to Caesar in a way that he wouldn't have had before. Um, it gave him authority to operate in the name of the family, right? It gave him uh, this inheritance. He immediately became the richest person in the Roman Empire, right? It, it gave him all kinds of things which set the stage for him to become the successor of Caesar. So 
in the Roman world, adoption was a very real, tangible thing. It completely changed, you know, how things were done. And so it was not uncommon in that uh, culture for there to be multiple witnesses of an adoption. In fact, I heard from William Barclay in his commentary that there were always 12 witnesses. I've been able to corroborate that. He's the only one I've heard say that, but that there were 12 witnesses at an adoption ceremony. And the idea was that way no one could ever say, no, that never really happened, right? There were eyewitnesses or a lot of eyewitnesses uh, because the impact was so significant, right? You can now have control over family assets. You were now given money in a will. You were now given land. You were given an awful lot of power and influence through this adoption. So um, this was not, uh, this was in, it is almost more significant, if you will, in the Roman world that is informing this text than it is even in our world today um, for, because it just was so expansive in the implications that it had. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, adopted children had certain things that even the the natural born children didn't have again according to william barclay okay yeah this is again i haven't been able to corroborate this but he says very clearly in one of his commentaries that the uh um you that a, a roman father had what was called the pater potestas mm-hmm. right so it's the latin meaning the power of the father and the, so and that meant that he could literally had life and death control over his children until they got married, right? Or until they were out on their own at some level. And so- While uh, they were part of his household. Yeah, as long as they were part of his household, which meant he could literally order them killed and there were no repercussions. That was not murder. That was him you know, executing justice in his family. He could not do that to an adopted, an adopted child. He could also disinherit a natural born child. You could never disinherit an adopted child. So there are actually greater protections in Roman culture for adopted kids than there were for birth kids. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So adoption brings us into the family of God. Um, do you want to talk more about the practical realities of well, what that know, means for us? So in our family, right, we have, uh, you've got an aunt and an uncle, mm-hmm. uh, my brother and sister who were ad- adopted. Um, so, you know, they went through an adoption process. So what happened is, you know, we've got an interesting family history. Mm-hmm. My uh, my mom, your grandmother, was uh, married, had two kids with a, a man named Elmer Neuenschwander. He was tragically killed by lightning on a golf course, right? Just suddenly died, leaving a four-year-old little girl, nine-week-old baby boy, about a year later, my mom, uh, she married Timothy Warner, who became, you know, my dad and your grandfather. And so my my dad had to go to court and do the, a legal transaction in which he officially adopted um, my, like, half-brother and sister into the family, and their names changed from Neuenschwander to Warner. And he had to say, I will make them equally heirs of any fortune I may amass in my life. Now, my dad did not amass a huge fortune, (laughs) but, you know, it was – but he did pretty well, and Mm -hmm. he passed on equally uh, to everybody, and it was actually written in there. So it was a very concrete idea that there is this legal reality, this legal action that you take place called adoption that changes your identity – in terms of your relationships. And now it is defining their identity significantly changed, but even my identity as their brother, sister, you know, as, as our relationship was now defined by law. And uh, with that came rights and responsibilities. Yeah. That's, I, I love my aunt and uncle and my aunt who is also 
you're saying yes, and <laughs> you the have three siblings. Not adopted, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they are fabulous. So let's talk more about about each Christian. If you are in Christ and you are adopted into God's family, what does that look like? Yeah. So if I am, yeah, the the new covenant, what it does is I I kind of, you know, hinted at this in the story, but it does several things. In fact, I think I list four of them in the book, A Deeper Walk. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them is that it gives us access, right? So I got to alliterate. So we got access, we have authority, um, and we have, what's the other one? Remind me. Acceptance. Acceptance. Thank you. I don't know why I forget that (laughs) one. Um, Authority, acceptance, and 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 access. access. All right. So- now that I confused everybody, we're going to do this in reverse order. So we start with access. My favorite picture when I think about Okay, a- wait, wait, wait. wait, so, wait. There are, so just There's, to say, there are four, and this is your AI identity, <laughs> because the fourth one is an I, which is why yeah, so we have uh, There are four, so... Access, acceptance, authority, inheritance. Very good. So those are the four. So the first one was... Access. access. So when I think of access, the picture that always comes to my mind, B shows my age, is uh, um, I, when I was born, uh, John F. Kennedy was president. And uh, he was unique in that he was a young father in the White House. And so there are all these pictures of like his kids playing in the Oval Office at his desk. And I always think of that when I think of access, right? They had access because they were his kids. Um, I had a little bit of that. And then my dad was the president of a college. And, you know, age seven, I could walk right into the office of the president of the you know university and nobody stopped me because I had access. I had some of that too. I, you were the senior pastor and my school for a time met in the building of the church. And I just, yeah, I might've been a little entitled to yeah, just, just wander wherever I wanted in that building. But... <laughs> Well, so Hebrews puts this access into the uh, structure, uh, into the words that we come boldly, that we have confidence to come boldly before the throne of grace. And so that's describing the kind of access that we have. And Jesus himself said, I'm not even saying I'll ask my father for you. You can go straight to my father and ask him for whatever you need and ask him for whatever you want. So um, that's the kind of access that we're talking about. So that's number one. Number two is acceptance. All right. So acceptance. Uh, My my dad used to uh, walk people through a a question that went something like this. It's like, let's take these words, um, authority. Uh, accountability. <laughs> you know this better than I do. <laughs> Authority, accountability, affirmation, acceptance. Mm-hmm. And the idea is most of us who are fear-bonded to God, in fact, probably all of us who are fear-bonded to God, start with this idea that God is the authority to whom I am accountable. And because I'm accountable to him, if I do well, he'll affirm me. If I don't do well, he won't affirm me. And if I am affirmed, then I'll be accepted. But if I'm not affirmed, I won't be accepted. I'll be rejected. And so we live with this fear that we aren't going to live up to the standard by which we will gain acceptance. And so we are stuck with what many people have called performance-based acceptance. And so my dad said, well, what, what if that's the actually the opposite order? And he would lay this out. What if it starts with acceptance and says, because you are my child, I accept you. As my child, I affirm you and I tell you I love you and I tell you that, you know, you're, you're my delight. It says, now I'm asking you to be accountable to my authority, right? What if it goes in that order? I remember my dad showing this to missionaries, showing it to people in full-time Christian ministry and just having their minds blown as they realize, you know what, I have been approaching 
my Christianity upside down and backwards most of my life, because I have not been starting from a place of acceptance with God. I've been trying to earn acceptance. And that usually happens because I felt like I've had to earn love from other people. I felt like I've I've had to earn whatever I get in life. And we have a hard time with unconditional love anywhere. But that's really what we mean by acceptance. It's the unconditional love of God. Mm-hmm. So um, that would be the second thing that comes with our adoption. Third? Third is... Uh, we uh, remind me authority. <laughs> Thank you, because I'm obviously brain dead today. We're so, very tired. <laughs> authority is the uh, again the right to represent the family in business. So you go back to the Roman world, and a, an adopted child could go and negotiate contracts on behalf of the family. They had the authority to do that. So in our case. We can do things in the name of Jesus, right? So that's this idea. If I'm doing it in the name of the family or, you know, in the name of Jesus, then I, uh, there, there is something that is recognized as authentic um, in the court by this. Now, demons know that we have this kind of authority. So what I found in spiritual warfare is a lot of times they'll push back to see if we believe it, mm-hmm. right? But as soon as they know that we know, what kind of authority we have and that they can't, you know, mess with that, then they back off. But they will push sometimes just to see, do you really understand who you are and what kind of authority that you have? Because I know it, but I don't think you do. And so um, I've seen this multiple times through the years. It doesn't. And so every now and then you just remind them, right? That is, I am a child of God. I am seated with Christ at the in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father. And you are not my equal, right? You are beneath me, right? And I am speaking to you as one with authority. It's not that I'm more powerful than you, because authority is the right to represent power. In this case, I have the right to represent the power of the kingdom of God. So I'm not saying I am stronger, wiser, smarter, anything than any demonic power. What I'm saying is that I have more authority because I can represent the authority of Christ and his kingdom against them. And that puts them at a level below me. And so it goes beyond that, too, because whenever we're doing in the name of Jesus, we're doing basically in the name of the family, in the name of uh, God's heavenly family. Mm-hmm. So those are the first three, right? Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Well, and I was as you were talking about it, we you know we are in this extended series on identity, and we started with attachment based, and we're in the beliefs based uh, segment right now. And so you have the attachment, you have the relational connection. And now we're working on the beliefs of, okay, so do you believe? Like what you said, the, the demons are like, yeah, we know that you're related. You know, we, we know your attachment, but are, do you believe your attachment? And it all works together. It does. It all connects together. And so, and even the covenant is about attachment. It's about defining that attachment. And so we see this still coming up. So I've got access to God so I can come boldly into his presence um, and, and just tell him, I have a need. I am don't deserve to get this need met, but this is a throne of grace. So I'm coming here asking you as your child. Um, we can represent the family, you know, and the family business using the the name of Jesus. And uh, we also have this acceptance that we start from a place of acceptance. It's not something we're trying to earn. Mm-hmm. That and brings then, us to our fourth thing, yes. right? Okay. So this is the the I. So as you like to say, we have a, a AI. <laughs> artificial intelligence, maybe artificial identity is not the case no, here. But no. it's like AI. That only this, goes so far, doesn't it? It does. So no. this is uh, inheritance. And again, in the Roman world, this was one of the main purposes of adoption 
it was to to determine who got the inheritance and where it was going. So it was interesting. For instance, we talked about Julius Caesar. He had a natural-born son with Cleopatra named Caesarion, right? So there was this huge legal battle, right, over who gets who gets to represent the family, who gets the authority, who gets the inheritance, who gets all this between Octavian and and now Caesarion was a baby, so it was his mother Cleopatra representing him, right? There's all sorts of complications right there. There are all sorts of complications <laughs> right there. And so it helped that Caesar never actually married Cleopatra, and so uh, Caesarian didn't have the same level of of, of rights that happened, uh, but the adoption of Octavian was to clarify this is where I want it to go, and so we saw this among a lot of the Caesars who would actually adopt their heir and bypass their natural children to put their adopted son on the throne as the next emperor. Well, and you know historically that tended to go better. But. That tended to go better. They had what they called five competent uh, emperors. What you call five competent? <laughs> yeah. Well, I got that from somebody else. Oh, you did. They, okay. They, they uh, uh, five competent emperors, and those were the ones who were adopted. And then Marcus Aurelius, who's considered this genius, decided to skip that and let his son come. And uh, you know, his son is Commodius, right? Commodus. Who? Commodus. Who? who uh... Yes, because your your mnemonic device there was always that he flushed the, yeah. the you know, down. He's the, got the, the word commode. commode in his name, yeah. and he flushed the yeah. Roman Empire down the commode. Yeah, no, it was a. Uh, All right, this is into the in the we're weeds into the weeds the here, okay, aren't we? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Welcome to uh, conversations around our dinner table. Okay. <laughs> I love it. All right. So you were were bringing together. I'm so sorry. Yeah. As we said, we are tired today, guys. Um, Okay. You were talking about inheritance. Ah, yes. And and then also wrapping up, maybe bringing all of the four together. Yeah. So let's talk about – so that's inheritance in the Roman world as Christians when we're talking about inheritance. Again, Peter reminds us that we have an incorruptible inheritance that cannot spoil or fade. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount – don't sort for yourselves treasures here on earth. Store up treasures in heaven, right? It can't because it can't be taken away from you. This idea uh, also is embodied in the New Testament idea of hope. And the idea of hope is directly connected to our inheritance. And so one of the ideas is now that your hope is in place and your hope is that you're taken care of in a sense, God's like, you know, go love other people. You know, trust Trust what I've given you, that's faith, and now go love other people knowing that you're okay. And, you know, that makes a huge difference because so often it's like, well, if I love people well enough, then God will give me an inheritance. If I have enough faith, then God will give me an inheritance. But it's kind of flipped. It's like hope is the anchor. It's the foundation out of this. And so because we've been given this hope, now God's saying, trust it, live in faith, and let that faith produce love as you love other people. And so there's a direct connection between this idea that I am taken care of and this idea that I'm now free to love other people. And that's what brings faith, hope, and love together. And, you know, as God says, the greatest of these is love. But I think the spring or the origin of those things is actually our hope. Mm, I love it. So could you maybe tie adoption and pardon together at all? And how... Yeah, so adoption and pardon are doing very different things, right? So uh, pardon is is taking care of the obstacles 
that kept us from a relationship. So it's like, okay, there are some problems here that have to be resolved before I can adopt you. And so we got to take care of the sin problem. We got to take care of the sanctification problem, make you, you know. And so um, pardon is kind of like clearing the way for the relationship of the reconciliation. Now we are affirming that reconciliation and we are codifying the reconciliation, if you will, saying, not only are you reconciled, I'm going to adopt you. So again, going back to the Roman Empire on this, one of the uh, pictures that I love is this idea that, you know, is that slaves, when they were freed, often went through a process and that that they were not only set free and then given a plaque or a certificate or, a you know, something that would they could show people showing that I am a freedman, I am not a slave. And in the Roman Empire, slave had nothing to do with race, right? This was just prisoners of war, basically. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they would be set free, but it was almost unheard of for somebody to only be given their freedom. They were also given something that was often called grace. And the grace that they were given was the money for a new start, perhaps land, uh, perhaps the ownership of a business. They were given something that they needed to go start a new life. Now, in response to the grace that they were given, they were given their freedom, that would be like pardon, and then they were given their uh, grace, which is an opportunity for a new new start. It was understood and expected that you would show loyalty in return. Well, the Greek word for that loyalty is the same word we use for faith, and that is you'll show you'll be faithful right to to me because of the grace that I've shown you, and so the, you have this interesting interplay between grace and faith in the Roman culture that I think is informing part of what Paul's talking about, and that God gives us grace, and in return He asks for faith, and not just like a intellectual believing, but a loyalty. Right, that comes out of that. You'll be faithful, you know, to doing things his way, and that's why Paul says, even to the point of suffering, even to the point of, you know, now I'm not going to walk in the flesh anymore. I'm not going to. I'm now going to walk in the spirit. That's all part of faith. That's living by faith. And so, uh, this what I find interesting then is is that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians talks about the lavish grace of God. And it's like he says, God takes this whole process a step further. He says, we were slaves of sin. In fact, I think the gospel is best explained not in terms of we were sinners separated from God. That's fine. But I think it's even better explained as we were slaves in a prison with an evil master. In other words, the our, our situation was like the Israelites under Pharaoh, right? We were being abused. We were being, uh, you know— kept in, in in abject slavery, and God showed up, did this miraculous thing, brought us to freedom. So our, our freedom is an amazing thing, and it, it is completely undeserved. We didn't do anything. Like, he didn't lead the Israelites in an uprising. He just saved them, right? <laughs> so it's the same thing. God just sent his son, and he saved us, and he brought us freedom. Then he in a sense, he adopted them, right? In a sense, he married them. So he entered into a covenant relationship uh, with them. And so we could look at it this way, that God not only set us free under the new covenant, but it says he's given us everything that we need for life through his great and precious promises. And then he adopts us. So it'd be like in the Roman world, it would be, if I set you free and I gave you all of this 
everything that you needed for life. And then I adopted you and made you my heir and gave you authority and gave you access and all this. That would completely change your life. And this is the lavish grace of God that God has done for us. He has set us free. He's given us everything we need for life. And he has adopted us so that we uh, have our future set, our access, and all the great things that come with adoption. Hallelujah. Yeah, it's pretty cool, it's right? It's pre- pretty, <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, the understatement. Understatement. It's lavish <laughs> to use Paul's words. This is why, I think this is why, like, uh, Paul blurts out this 14-verse sentence, <laughs> right, in Greek, the 14 verses of, of, of Ephesians 1, well, 11 verses from Ephesians 1, 3 to 4, 14, I think are, uh, it's all one verse sentence in Greek, and it's all a doxology of praise where Paul just sort of blurts out, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly rooms with every <laughs> blessing that there is to be given us. And he's just exploding with joy, right? So he talks about, you know, what God has given to us in Christ, and it's all about in Christ this is true, in Christ this is true, and, and, and adoption is right at the heart of that whole thing that he's excited about. Huzzah. And we're going to keep talking about it next week. We are we are coming, we're, we're covering a lot, coming to the end of the episode. And I want to give a quick shout out to the October 35th anniversary conference where dad is going to be talking about breakthrough. Judy Dunnigan is going to be there. Dan Rumberger is going to be there. Junie Felix is going to be there. Chris Corsi is going to be there. And a whole bunch of the Deeper Walk staff. It is going to be fabulous. And you can come online. So if you're just thinking last minute, hey, I you know, I can't travel that far or, hey, the tickets got sold out or something. I don't know. It's, I can't see into the future, but we're very close. We are sold out yet. We're just about sold out. Yeah. But, but you can attend online and we would love to see you. So yeah, quick shout out to that. Find more information out at Deeper Walk's website. Father, any closing thoughts? You know, it's really good to review this. Honestly, it's like I, I say it here. I thought, you know, I teach on adoption and identity all the time. And then once I started teaching about it, I remembered how exciting this is. Mm-hmm. Right? I was like, oh, this is such a good reminder. This is such a important thing because it's so easy, you know, to slip back into this performance mindset and that, you know, maybe I'm – yeah, not worth that much or after all, or maybe I'm a disappointment after all. And you're looking at things and you realize, okay, no, this is this is good. Uh, it's good to remind ourselves of what God has done for us. And the word grace itself comes from the motivation. It comes from what motivated God to do all of this for us. It was the graciousness of his heart that said, you know what, I'm going to set them free you know what? I'm going to give them everything they need for life. And you know what? I'm going to adopt them into the family. I'm going to give them an inheritance. I'm going to give them access. I'm going to give them authority. I'm, you know, it's like he, uh, he just, it's the lavish grace of God. And it's good to reflect and meditate on that. Hallelujah. All right. Thank you all for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart-focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk Trailblazer with your monthly donation of $25 or more. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week. Happy birthday, Ben. <laughs>